you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. So welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Um, It's my absolute pleasure to have a good friend of mine here today, Hayden Masters. Now, I recently met Hayden through my child, my children actually, on the side of the rugby field and we got talking and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Hayden is currently the Head of Physical Performance and Preparation for the Australian Rugby Union team, the Wallabies. His expertise in maximizing human performance stems from over 20 years of experience at coaching at that elite level in terms of coaching world sporting teams and athletes. Stack of results up his sleeve, including the New South Wales Waratahs first Super Rugby Championships in 2014 and the Wallaby 2015 Rugby World Cup silver medal. Um, Let's hope they do better on that next year. He's currently a PhD candidate. He holds a Master's of Exercise Science and a Bachelor of Human Movement Studies. And he's a strategic thinker who really tests the status quo in areas of athlete performance and he's now delivering these elite athlete methods to the corporate sector through DNA profiling, which is all about understanding the body um, and how when you understand the body and the mind, it gives you an organic advantage in the elite high-performance corporate world, allowing leaders and teams to thrive in high-pressure environments. Wow. Awesome. Welcome, Hayden. Wonderful to have you here. Thank you for having me. So, where did this all start? Where did this passion for yours begin? Can you remember? It, it began when I was a child. I, I just loved sport. Yeah. I was just heavily involved all through summer through surf life saving and cricket uh, in the Manly area and then, you know, in winter rugby. Um, and, you know, from four years old through to, to playing, you know, rep football and playing grade rugby down at Manly. I think that's that's really where it all started for me. I just loved it so much. Um, so, you know, the the drive to go into, you know, a sports field and, and work with, with athletes was probably always there from when I was a child. And what flipped you from playing to the equivalent of behind the scenes and getting involved in that part of the sporting team and performance? Well, I think it was pretty easy when you realise that you're not going to be an elite performer. <laughs> You, you, you try to find a way that you can still be a part of the team but but not actually going out there each week and, and doing it and that and that's what I found I was I was lucky enough to put myself into uh, my human movement degree when I was uh, when I left school and, and that was a great sort of insight into sports science and, and how to go about preparing athletes and then I managed to get an internship at North Sydney Bears Rugby League Football Club which was the first process of, of working with athletes and I just loved it. And you know, from there, you know, I just thrived in that, that environment because I'd spent so much time as a youth playing playing in team sports and being around that that I just felt so comfortable in that. So that's where the real passion grew. Excellent. And you've done some pretty awesome stuff. You're working currently with the Wallabies. Um, what sort of things are you learning about yourself through that process? What have you learned about yourself over those last 20 years of working with high elite performers? Well, I think that the key thing is that, that everyone's different. Uh, they're all individuals. And, and the way that you 
influence them is very different and I, th- I suppose that's the same thing in the real world too you, the way you influence people people have similar beliefs as you or, or very different beliefs and, and the way that you get your message across has to be individualized to that person otherwise you, you know you're not going to achieve the results that you want to achieve um, I think that uh, I've I've managed to learn how to go about communicating more effectively with everyone that I deal with um, and so the strategies involved in that that I have developed in the last 20 years have probably allowed me to really go on and continue to have a career in that, that market. Can you give any <clears throat> insight and some examples of how you've done that? Because I'm hearing a lot, um, obviously there's a lot of communication and, and conversation at the moment around how we need to communicate more effectively mm. and connect more effectively. Have you got an example of where you had to almost evolve or change your style to get the results that you knew were possible? Yeah, definitely. I In the job I'm in at the moment, uh, which is very different from, from coaching a, a team for, for 12 months of the year, the national program in rugby union relies on players coming from the four franchises. Um, and then I have to deal, obviously, with the fact that I only have these athletes for four months of the year. So these athletes have to come to me prepared physically and, and ready to, to play international rugby. So the relationships that I have with the four super rugby strength and conditioning coaches is paramount to achieving that. And and so in many instances, as I said before, you, I, I, I'll have good relationships with people that have similar personality traits with me. But then my real learnings come in the last sort of six months or 12 months around how you deal with people that have different beliefs to you and then you, you, you sell your thoughts and your ideas to them so so that you influence them. That's probably been the key thing. And that's one of the things I've had to do a lot in the last you know 12 to 18 months, especially in this new job, is to find ways to get to the level that those people... Uh, have their beliefs and that I'm showing them that, that my beliefs are similar to their beliefs in a very different way and the communication process around that is very different. Some of them are very science-based, some of them want the science, some of them want to know exactly the evidence-based practice so that they can put that in place. So delivering new thoughts and, and new new ideas around athlete preparation or nutrition or something for those people is very difficult for them to, to grasp because they are science-based. Um, so finding finding that evidence and finding ways to influence that has probably been the, the hardest part of my job because when I'm working with athletes 12 months of the year and I'm the only one that I really have to account for, I can really implement what I like. Mm. So that's probably been my key learn in the last 12 to 18 months. Which is interesting in itself because even in the workplace you've got that. You've got people that are wanting the evidence mm. as to why they should do something and there's others that gravitate to the big picture thinking and then there's people in the middle and I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we face in terms of how do we drive that influence. What, what does um, an average day look like for you in your work? So an average day, I think probably the best way to describe and what most people want, want to hear is how you know we, we wake up in the morning and we start our day with, with a football team. Uh, up early, uh, I have my own daily routines and, and it's all about getting mental f- preparation and mental focus. So how I start the day really well uh, with, a, with, a, with a bulletproof coffee and, uh, and get my mind going. And we, we have the athletes come to us around about eight o'clock in the morning. We, we start to look at their well-being. Um, they have apps on their phone which tell us you know how they're feeling you know if they're sore we're particular um, so we call it our daily well-being report um, and then we go into what, what we call athlete preparation so we have a period in the morning where 
We like to think that we can reset our athletes before they train for the day. And that what that basically is, is that they've trained the day before or they've played a game on the weekend, and it allows us some time to see where they are at physically and mentally, and then apply some uh, exercises or some, some neural work, some mental priming to get them ready for their day. Um, now, that in many instances, they might be going out in the field uh, to do a running session, to do a football session, to do a high combative session. So we have to make sure that they're physically and mentally prepared for that. Um, so that would usually go in the morning and then we have lunch and then we, we go into the gym in the afternoon and we, we teach these guys you know, to be bigger, stronger and faster in the gym. Um, all of it's based around great nutrition. It's all based around you know, plenty of recovery and rest periods between sessions. And it's all based around athletes being better so that when they come to the weekend and they play against the All Blacks or the Irish, which is coming up in a couple of weeks' time, um, they're physically and mentally ready to, to perform at the highest level. And do you believe that level of high performance is possible for everyone? Absolutely. I think one of the key things that, that people need to really grasp is that they need to prepare themselves as if, an, as if they're an elite athlete. Elite athletes don't only just prepare themselves physically, but they prepare themselves mentally. And I think there's a key carryover or crossover from sport, the way elite athletes prepare themselves for performance, which can be done with everyone. In the, in the corporate environment, you know, you have a high pressure, yet you deal with change. It's the same thing that these elite athletes deal with every day, and they have to have the mental capacity and the preparation to do that. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of great... Uh, little uh, tricks that the elite athletes can teach elite performers in society to um, to maximise their performance and their productivity. Can you share some of those tips? Yeah, definitely. I think there's some some really cool um, stuff coming out about about mental performance. I, I really do believe that mental performance is 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 harmed considerably by food, by our food choices, and there's no doubt that uh, science is, is showing us that that uh, high-carbohydrate breakfast in the morning are, are counterproductive to our mental production and our productivity. So therefore, um, having a high-protein breakfast in the morning um, and, and, um, and, and really um, maximising the, the dopamine uptake that you can create by having a high-protein breakfast will set you up for the day to start you um, really preparing for, for, the, mm. for the day ahead. And there's no doubt that... Um, that what people don't understand is they don't understand they haven't they haven't got awareness of, about what how food is making them feel. Um, I'm a big believer in making people understand it, how they can hack themselves, and it's sort of a crazy word at the moment, but it's something that we've been doing for a long time. If you're eating a food that's making you tired and drowsy, and you know we we call it the afternoon haze, or we go for the the the, the lolly jar at two thirty in the afternoon, most most likely that food is actually giving you that feeling. So working out which of those foods do that and then avoiding those and replacing them with foods that don't give you that feeling is, is the, the way to, to keep mentally focused through the day. Mm. And what other things are you learning by um, experimenting or working with these high elite athletes that you're going, we should more of us be doing this? So what I'm hearing when you're talking is there's a lot of almost routine and discipline I loved what you were touching on about the mindset. You said, you know, getting them ready for the day before they start performing. Mm -hmm. I'm curious as to um, how could that work yeah. in a business too? Well, I think if you think about your day in a 24-hour map, that's a really crucial thing. A lot of people just think about, oh, I get in the car and I drive to work and then I'll think about work when I get there. But really, the, the day's been set up by the sleep you've had the night before. 
we 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 place a significant amount of of emphasis on on sleep quality, not just sleep hours, not just time in bed, but maximizing the quality of that. So that's around like foods we eat um, that we can take some supplements before we go to bed. There's some behaviors we can do like deep breathing practices which we can do before bed that that give us that we know because we actually take the measurements of of the sleep quality of our athletes. We know that these influence positively the the sleep quality. So then when they wake up, they wake up and they feel refreshed. And I think one of the key areas that most people feel wake up feeling, they wake up feeling like a sick dog in the morning. You know, they've been in bed maybe for six or eight hours, but the quality of their sleep hasn't been productive. And so therefore, that's the start of it. The next thing is, is really then around your food intake. Um, and then depending if you're a morning exerciser or an afternoon exerciser, having the routine in place that, that sets up that 24-hour clock for when you need your best productivity. Um, I myself, and, and we can always talk about you know ourselves, I'm a morning person. I do all my best work in the morning. So all my strategic thinking, all my planning, any research that I'm doing, that I'm reading, I do it always in the morning, first thing in the morning, until about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then I do my admin in the afternoon. That's the sort of way that we sequence with our elite athletes as well. If we feel that they're better at lifting weights in the morning, getting themselves primed for the afternoon session, then we will do that and we'll set that up. So using those similar strategies to, to put into each of your own um, you know, days and, and the 24-hour cycles, I think is a key, key practice that we should be practicing. And how do, you, how do you keep the motivation going? I was talking at a client actually just this lunchtime and we were talking about high-performance habits and how you always set off with a good intention um, and more often than not, people fall off and beat themselves up. And I think the difference is getting back on again yeah. versus beating yourself up and saying it doesn't work. Have you had examples through your career where you've seen potential in somebody and they've just not stuck to those high-performance habits? And oh, what do you do? All the time. Mm. All the time. We have, we have instances of athletes that come with all the talent. They've got talent, like, you know, oozing out of them and... And we just know that talent is not enough. Talent, is just hard work will just make talent thrive. Where, you know, hard work will make semi-talent thrive as well. Whereas if you've got talent um, and you don't work hard, then you're, you're terminal. You're, you're finished. And I think the, the hardest thing for young athletes, I work with a lot of young athletes, and they've come from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds and, you know, like home um, socioeconomic, you know, situations. And it's very, very difficult to break some of those down in these athletes if they don't have the motivation. I think the key area for us is to actually show them what their potential is um, and then, you know, give them small, have small wins along the way that create change in behaviour. That's a key thing. So actionables, actionable behaviour changes that, 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 that show the athlete that they're having a win, that just drip by drip they're getting better at things and then all of a sudden we actually change those behaviours. And I've got some athletes who... We'll be running out against uh, Ireland in, in a week and a half's time who two years ago started with me that were no hope because they had all the talent but they didn't have the drive. And now they're, they're first picked in the team. So, you know, I think it's a key, key area for us is to understand how you can make these habit changes. Um, some, some we call them high responders. Some are great. Some you tell them something and they do it straight away and they do it to their best ability. Others are low responders. You know, and I think the key thing for our performance is in Australian Rugby Union, we don't have the talent pool that some of the other nations have, is that we can't hide behind the fact that there's low responders and we can't change them so we move on from them. 
we actually have to find a way. We have to turn the low responders into high responders. And that's been a, 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 another lesson that I've learned in the last three years working with the national rugby team is that we, we have to make our talent thrive. Otherwise, as a nation, we're in trouble. It's interesting because the uh, alignment with what is going on corporately is so similar. There's a war for talent on. Mm. We are short of talented people. And every organisation is looking to not only find that talent, but retain that talent. And I think part of the retention is the growth piece of how do you um, unleash that brilliance of those those individuals. What what tips would you have to share with people that are listening to this and going, God, yeah, now how can I do this within my organisation? What, what could I do to help that talent shine? Because your point about uh, talent's not enough, I think is really valid. Well, I think... I think you have to create the awareness to start with, you know, what, what, what is the requirement? Um, a lot of people don't know what they don't know. So, you know, the, the key to that is actually creating awareness in the workplace. Now, in, in my workplace, the awareness is around benchmarking. You know, I, I prepare athletes to play international football. So if I have an athlete come to me um, and we collect all their data and they're well short of their benchmarks and their standards, then that becomes the key aspect and the primary focus of their development. You know, in the corporate world, there, there has to be a similar um, sort of benchmarking that can be achieved so that you can create awareness to where people should be performing and, and then the processes of how to do that. That's, been a, that's a key area that I, I believe that people don't know. Like We take it for granted. People know. People don't know. Mm-hmm. They're not aware of what they should be aware of. And if we don't deliver that information, then we're not doing our jobs as leaders. What do you see as the biggest challenges happening or changes happening in your world at the moment. Well, at the moment, you know, technology is huge, and I think it's it's in every every uh, aspect of of the world at the moment. Is that what what can technology deliver us? And um, to me, it's it's a positive because t- the technology is giving us data, which gives us amazing insights into things that we didn't have insights into before. Um, so that that's a key challenge. But the, sorry, a key area that's coming in. But the key challenges is that we are coaches, and we have to coach with our eyes. Our experience is a coaching tool that we've developed over you know, the 10 or 15 years we've been coaching. So how the interaction of that data and that technology with, with what our art is, is the key challenge. Because I'm seeing at the moment a lot of university students who are coming to me in their post-grad and, and they are all about the technology and they can tell you they can do these amazing charts and they can use all the technology, but they can't coach. And they can't see it, and they can't actually put their finger on it. And I think I, I, I'm very lucky because I've been doing what I've been doing for a long time, 20 years, and it doesn't feel like 20 years because I've loved every day of it. But I've had I've, I, I coached when there was no technology to really do this stuff. So now the technology really just it, it allows me to 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 understand and to clarify and to correlate what I'm seeing with what the data is telling me because the technology is so good. But I'm not using the technology to actually tell me something that's already happening that I'm not seeing as a coach. So a key area for, I'd say, for all the young coaches I speak to, and I've done, I've had a lot of trainees over the, the years and I've interviewed a lot of people, and the key area is if you want to do what I do, you have to coach. You know, the academic side of stuff is important as well, but you need to go out there and you need to coach as much as you can because that is our number one tool. Hmm. And the other bit I heard there is the technology is more an enabler to mm. help you 
become even better. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't replace. No, it doesn't replace. And I think the, the key thing about technology is the user experience. Mm. Like we can we can get all the technology and have all the data, but if we can't make it very, very straightforward and user-specific to the person that needs it, whether it be a coach or an athlete or, a, or the manager or the CEO, then it's irrelevant. Um, and so the key area that in, in our business at the moment is making that data user-friendly so the user experience at the end is positive. Because at the moment, we, we, I think in, in the world, we're saturated with a lot of data. Uh, we like to call it paralysis by analysis. Um, and yet we, we aren't creating enough actionables out of that data to really justify its use. Um, and that's a key area of performance in, our, in, our, in the sporting world anyway that I'm exposed to the most that, that needs to be improved. Now, you're all about high, performing, high performance of others. Um, and your results to date and what you've achieved are pretty much showing that you're, you're doing it and you're creating that for others. What, what is it about you that makes you good? Because you have to be pretty brilliant yourself to be able to help others become better. What do you think you're bringing to the conversation, the table? Most definitely I'm bringing me as a person. I think uh, the, 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 what, I, what I have a lot with the, the footballers and the staff that I work with is trust. I think that's, that's the crucial in the relationship forming and the relationship keeping is trust. Um, to be able to have you know, that with, with the players, you know, when I'm talking to them, um, when I'm talking to the head coach around decisions that, that are going to impact the way that we're, we're playing the weekend, we have to have that trust. And I think, um, like, I'm, I'm a very trusting person and I'm probably one of my downfalls is, is I'm probably too trusting. But in, in saying that, <laughs> I think the key to it is is that um, I, I want to have a trusting relationship because to be a trusted advisor um, in my job is probably the number one thing. You know, I've obviously got knowledge and I've built up my experience and my IP of over 20 years of working in, in rugby league and union and with athletes is, is extensive. But um, I need to build up, the first thing I, I need to do with an athlete is I need to build up that trust so I become a trusted advisor. So that athlete will come to me and they'll ask me anything that they need help with or they need an answer to because it's not just they can't say, oh, should I eat, you know, a banana or should I eat an apple today? I mean, we have athletes that come to us with real-life issues, um, social issues, mental issues, um, family issues that, that we have to deal with. You know, we're, we're dealing with an ecosystem of people that have lives outside of what we think is so important, which is just rugby performance. So not only, you know, do you have the ability to, to um, you know, prepare them physically and mentally to go out there and, and do that, but you're also a trusted advisor in, mm. in the other parts of their lives as well. And I'm imagining in 20 years you've worked with a lot of athletes at different levels from, I'm imagining, starting out at amateur level up to elite. Do you, is there one person, individual moment in time that sticks out as, wow, that's why I do what I do? There's, I, I think the key area why I do what I do is because the satisfaction, and I think most people will probably be the same with whatever they do, but the satisfaction of, of, of doing something and seeing someone succeed, whether it be they, make it, they get selected in a team for the first time or whether they hold up a trophy, that, that's what I do it for. And I think, you know, there are so many reasons why I love sport. It, it, it's teamwork. You know, it, there's not just the players that go on the field, the, the coaching team and the management team, and we travel so much together. 
we're a family. You know, it's like we're a tribe almost, you know, like we hunt together and we, you know, we, we eat together and we do all that sort of stuff together. But I think the key the key things there is is that that when we get success, the satisfaction is is something that you just can't measure. Now, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit left field here. I, I tell my wife that um, I've got three children, as you know, and um, I tell her that I've got a fourth child. And she's like, well, can you tell me? I said, well, because the day that my first and my second and my third child was put in my arms, it was one of the greatest moments of my life because in that moment, nothing else mattered. And everyone was so happy in the room. I remember the midwives and the doctors and the smiles. They were unconditional. And then when I had my fourth child, we won the Super Rugby Trophy with the Waratahs. And on the field when we were walking around and we were holding up the trophy and we were doing our lap of honour in front of our home crowd, nothing else mattered at that time. It was unconditional happiness for the, for the not only for the group of players that had been out there, but for the whole organisation, but for all the fans as well who'd waited so long. And I think that that is the number one moment for me that says this is why I, why I've done it you know and and that's I still look at that and still say it's my fourth child my, my wife hates it <laughs> <laughs> she's like what about me yeah now you're pretty busy um you are about to enter into crazy season yeah. with rugby and obviously we've got the world cup coming next year can't wait how how do you manage yourself so how do you make sure you're match fit to yeah. gift everybody else what it is that you do it's a good question and, and, you know, it's tough because to juggle, you know, three or four things I'm studying and, and families is like really, really hard to do and, and I'm, when I say I do it, I mean, I think there are a lot of people out there that are listening to, to this are in exactly the same situation. I really focus on, and as I said before, everyone should treat themselves and prepare as an elite athlete, you know, so I eat, I sleep, I, I, I exercise, I have lifestyle habits that that allow me to do that you know I, I really pride myself on you know how disciplined I am in those areas um, I, and I also know I also understand my my body and, and what its limits are so when it's time to have a break I have a break you know and I know when that's going to be um, so I, I manage myself that way like and I manage my time by planning it out over the weekend I know I'm going to be dragged around football fields from Saturday morning eight, eight, eight o'clock till Sunday afternoon you know rip junior training so I've got to make sure that I'm planned all that so I really prepare uh, for that I, I do all the shopping in my house and I know it's a really crazy thing I'm very very anal about the food that I want to eat so unfortunately the rest of my family has to eat that way but I find that's a very key fun that's a key fundamental component of my life is that I'm prepared that way so that when I know that I've got to get up at and, and go to work or go to the gym in the morning, go straight to work and I've got a meeting in the afternoon that I've got to pick the kids up or I've got to go to footy training or whatever it may be, my day is ready to go because I've planned it out. I've got food, I've got water, I've got exercise, I've got you know me programmed in there and then I've, I've got a program in my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And from what you're seeing looking into business, I know you're having a few conversations with people at the moment, are you seeing that people are doing that too? I'm, I'm finding that, that I read a great blog the other day um, and it was about you know, uh, uh, being the curator of your own museum and I think that's an essential component that we're not doing. You know, we, if a museum's cluttered and, and you know, we're, we're not taking out the, the bad stuff and leaving in the good and, and changing the, 
the displays off, and then it then it, it's obviously you know going to be overrun in that way. And I, and I see a lot of people who work in in corporate and and some of the the clients that I speak to, it, it's it's like that. They're not treating themselves as a museum. They're not taking out the bad and putting in the good, and and leaving it in there. Um, and they're not looking after themselves. And so I, I I'd like to, I believe that by putting in you know, some, some plans and, and helping people in that corporate sector really understand and be aware that, you know, you are, you are the asset. You know, my athletes are the asset. Um, and in the corporate sector, you know, the execs, the people all the way down to the mailroom, they're the asset. And the asset is the thing that we need to look after. Mm. You know, like um, our football players are the ones that make us money. If we don't have that asset on the football field because they're injured or they're sick or they're suffering from mental stress... You know, we all go down, and I think that's a really solid way that the companies should be looking at looking after their mm. their employees, especially the ones who are making the big decisions, and and you know, and and the and the performance of the company relies on that. I could not agree more. So, have you always been like this, or have you got an example where you let it all fly, and then you went, "Oh my God, I have become one of those." people that isn't looking after myself oh yeah definitely i think you know you can get caught up in that you know i i i changed jobs from new south wales waratahs in 2015 and i went straight from a super rugby season straight into a wallaby world cup campaign which went for five months from the start to the finish and i was away for that for 10 weeks um and you know that was like i I felt i came home with like post-traumatic stress disorder really like I came home to family and I was like, I, I don't know you guys anymore. I feel like I'm foreign. And <clears throat> Excuse me. And the time that I was away, we worked seven days a week, 14-hour days because it was just all about performance and trying to win the World Cup. And I came home after that and I had three months off. And I literally let myself go. And I let myself go to the point where I started to get anxiety. I started to wake up in the morning, in the middle of the night, and things were going through my mind. I'm going, what am I doing? Like, I'm on holidays. This is crazy. And it was literally because I was, I wasn't eating well. I was probably you know socialising more and having a few more alcoholic beverages with my mates who I hadn't seen for five months, um, and it just that that became my habit, and that un, that undid me and that taught me a lot about you know looking after myself. I mean, even nowadays, if I go and have three or four beers the day before I have to perform at something, I'm down, you know. So it really has has created that uh, that learning experience where I. I I want to thrive, so I really look after myself when I need to thrive. And of course, I'll let myself, you know, down, and I'll give myself a chance to have a glass of wine, you know, when I when I can afford to. But it's not—I don't have the time, and you know, it's not as common as I'd like it to be. Mm. But there's no doubt that that was the main learn for me after that World Cup. It's, that's thank you for sharing that because I think for so many of us can read stories of excellence or leadership or brilliance and watch what the media show us but very few of us get the opportunity to hear stories like that and I think that's the gift because people listening will go oh my god that's me right now Mm. and you've proved that you can turn it around so anyone listening that's going that's me I'm tired Mm. I'm exhausted Mm. I'm feeling burnt out I'm not enjoying what I'm doing at the weekend I'm letting it all go and drinking too heavily or whatever it may be what um if they could do one thing if they could make one shift towards becoming a better performer, what would you get them to do? Mm. The the one thing, and it's probably not one. It's not one thing. Um, inflammation from our food, from our diet, from our lifestyles, 
is the number one thing that is stopping us from maximizing our performance. And it's it's inflammation from from you know bad oils and bad food and bad diet, bad habits, smoking, drinking, all that sort of stuff, which is really, you know, I think affecting and it's and it's and at the moment it's a little bit of a controversial area, but they're now looking at it as a as one of the main causes of a lot of these Neolithic diseases that we're suffering in the 20, 21st century around diabetes and dementia and heart disease. This is this is where we're going now. Um, inflammation is one of the root causes of why we don't sleep well. So to me, changing your diet and un, un, first of all, understanding and being aware of what foods are cause inflammation is a key area. I mean... You know, sugars, um, you know, additives, um, you know, white flour in many instances, um, alcohol, bad oils, you know, that are, that are found in bakery goods. And, you know, they're, they're the sort of things that, that we, we really should be avoiding because they're inflammatory. Um, replacing those with, with um, foods like um, that are high in omega-3 oils. I mean, I think that's the key area that most people understand in your diet. If you are not having enough food that's high in omega-3 oils, then you're going to be living an inflammatory life. And so to me, supplementing with fish oils um, enough so that you can combat that, that inflammation and, and the poor diet maybe that you've had for a long time, it will turn things around incredibly quickly. Mm. Um, um, fishy, like fatty fish, like salmon and mackerel and um, you know tuna and things like that, brilliant sources of omega-3 oils. I'd say that would be the number one area I'd focus on. Mm. And yet too many people seem to, I see sort of band-aiding going on, mm-hmm. where they jump from one diet to the other yeah. to the other, and yeah. yet you're saying it's something more fundamental than that. that people well, it's fundamental because, because I think the, you know, what, we, what we, people don't understand is that our DNA, half from mum, thanks, and half from dad, thanks, is what drives this, this area. You know, like we have a playing field of life that is dictated, the sidelines are dictated by our DNA. And if you don't, if we don't, and many people, this is very new to a lot of people, so, but if you don't understand your, the DNA and how big your playing field is, then you don't know how, to, like, what, what behaviours you need to do to stay inside that, to stay healthy. So, by understanding that, you'll, you'll get the boundaries, and then you'll get a very distinct set of instructions that will tell you how to live inside the playing field of life. Now... Then what you do is you create awareness around that. You know, if you want to live outside the playing field of life and you have the DNA um, vulnerabilities that, that have come from mum and dad, then chances are that you're not going to be healthy for, for your whole life. Your health expectancy is going to be reduced because you're going to need medicine to keep you alive. So understanding that life expectancy is when you die, but health expectancy is when you're healthy until you start taking drugs to basically keep you alive. And so understanding, you know, your own you know, genetic profile and then how that can affect inflammation and oxidative stress and, and how nutrition, exercise, lifestyle choices can really impact positively on that. On the other hand, extremely negatively um, is a key. Mm. You know, understand and hack yourself. Biohack yourself so that you have, you know exactly what is happening when you eat or drink or run or jump or whatever it is that you want to do. And so this DNA work that I know you're getting quite involved in and yep. passionate about, um, how does that, how, how can the learning from that play across to people who aren't elite performers in sport, but maybe elite performers in their work or their business or in a, a, a corporate job? 
Yeah, well, what we talked about before, the, the, the DNA gives you, you know, a very good blueprint of your vulnerabilities. And it can be from a health perspective, it can be from a mental perspective. And I think you just talk about those two things in the workplace. You know, people are not looking after themselves in the workplace. So if you're eating the wrong foods and you're not having the, the right, you know, lifestyle and exercise habits, that will affect you negatively in the workplace. Not only in the workplace, but I think in life. Mm. Going home and from work and, and not interacting with the kids and the family, you know, losing your mojo, losing your sex drive, losing losing what is you um, because you, you've almost lost the joy in life. And I know there are people out there who are listening to this who p- probably go, you know what, I work so much and I, I feel like I've lost the joy of life. Um, that's, that's they're the key areas in your DNA. Um, and if you're you're hitting those areas with the wrong sort of foods and the, and the wrong sort of behaviours, then that's what's going to happen. And over time, that will lead to breakdown, mm. whether it be physical, mental, um, or, or, you know, or health. You're so passionate about what you do. I love it. And I've got so many things I'm going to ask you off this recording. <laughs> but when you get a chance to chill out and calm down and hang out with a family... What do you hate and love to think deeply about? What is it that you're cogitating and thinking through? Oh, where I'm going, yeah. <laughs> really. I think that's a key. I think most people probably think about that, but I really do about where I'm going. You know, I, I feel 20 years coaching elite athletes, you know, in performance is something that, that I, I try to find a way. The, the deep thought is the process of how do I take what I've learned and, and take it to the next stage of my life. Um, going away so much from the family, you know, I think they're, and you know, my wife has to take up the slack. I think they're the sort of things that make you think a lot about, you know, where you're going. And I think that's probably the main thing. Mm. Who keeps <coughs> you going? Who inspires you to keep doing your work? Oh, my family. Mm. Um, my family and my driver, they, they, they've always been my driver. Um, I, want, I want success for them. Uh, I want them to you know, feel that they've got a, a good life, that dad comes home and you know, we talk about you know, what keeps me going. You know, I, I eat and I sleep and I do all the things, not, not just because it's looking after me, but you know, I'm, I'm looking after my family as well. And you know, they are, They're the driver. I've got three beautiful kids. They love surfing and, and they're active and you know, I just want to be able to do that till I'm 80. You know, I want to look after their grandkids. I want to, the way I'm pushing my children on waves surfing at the moment, I want to be doing that when I'm 75, 80 years old. Um, so that's that's my key driver, I think. Yeah, I just want to have success for that. And who do you want to be remembered as? So we talk a lot about what we want to do um, and legacy work and yeah. there is no doubt that your work is already impacting so many people mm. in that sporting arena um, and equally knowing you on the sideline of the kids rugby field I know you're incredibly inspiring for the kids my my little man has certainly decided that if he can't be a wallaby he wants to be a strength coach which is purely <laughs> from the conversation he's had with you um, so you are inspiring other people which I think is awesome but who who does Hayden want to be remembered well, I think as being? The thing is, is that you know you just you actually hit the nail on the head there. Like, oh, I, I'm an influencer. I want to be remembered as an influencer. Um, in strength and conditioning, you know, we really it's like building houses. You know, there's many ways to build houses, but at the end of the day, you get a house. And I think the key is, is that there's so many ways to prepare athletes and so many methods out there, but. Now, to influence people to actually change their behaviour, to do things that are more beneficial for their performance, 
that's probably the area that I'd like to think that I'm working towards um, for most people. Not only athletes, but, you know, but my friends, you know, like a, the, the amount of questions, and I know you're probably going to ask me the same questions when we finish here. The amount of time I spend talking with my, my mates, you know, some of them in, in the situation, they're high corporate flyers who are, you know, overweight and, you know, technically obese and unhealthy and going to doctors, you know, at 43 years old and, you know, coming away with like a, a myriad of, of issues. Um, that's that's what how I want to be remembered by my friends, you know, when they talk about me, they said, yeah, you know, he helped me. The information and the influence he had around the areas that he's passionate about that, that's how I, I think I'd like to be remembered. Hayden, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think your passion for high performance, I cannot wait till those of us that aren't elite athletes, wallabies or whatever it is, get the chance to access your thought leadership in this space because the work that I do, um, I definitely see people uh, crying out for how do I not just become better at the work I do, but become a better human being and start living the life that I want. So massive gift there. There are a couple of things I'm pulling out. Um, Your commentary around talent is not enough, I think is really valid. Um, Interestingly, that we are trying to get our kids and educating them. My son was talking about why am I just a number uh, Mm. in terms of the qualifications at the end of the day. And your point about talent is not enough and that we can build on that. And I think, you know, all of us need to think about how can we become better uh, because we've all got some form of skill. Your whole piece around um, high performance habits, um, I think, is really critical in that too many of us want to blame and make excuses. But your story that you shared um, clearly um, was an example of where there comes a point where you have to take ownership for your own level of performance. And this whole area around treating yourself as a museum, I love it. Um, You are the asset, absolutely. And I think if more of us can start thinking about each of us as individuals being an asset, um, that's where the opportunity is. And um, I'm sure there'll be lots of intrigue around this DNA profiling and how we use that. So you are an influencer, you are inspiring, you're doing great work. And thank you for your time today and sharing all you know with our listeners. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you, Janine. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people. Extraordinary results.